we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good morning. Hey, um, we embark on a new journey as we head through the book of Revelation this morning. I hope you're excited for it because it is so exciting to go through. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And let's stand and let's, let's read a couple of verses here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, who's that? That's us. Things which must shortly take place. We might want to take notice of that. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. That is awesome. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for, in case you missed it the first time, for the time is near. And Father, as we settle our hearts before you this morning, Lord, we want to have ears to hear what your Spirit wants to speak to us. That you might use us to go out and that you might speak through us. And so, Lord, bless our time here this morning, please. And Lord, speak to us. Lord, we want to walk away changed people more in love with our Jesus than when we first came in. So Lord, please bless in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, you got to hang with me here. I got a rather lengthy introduction. But the reason it's there is I want to give you things to look for as you read through the book by yourself at home. First of all, it's our heritage as Calvary Chapel. You read before you get there. But I believe God wants to do incredible things in your lives to where you pick this thing up every day and you read through it. And you watch what God can do in your life. So let me start with this question. Is it possible to understand this book? I mean, the answer is absolutely yes. Some people make you feel like you need to be a professor of biblical studies to understand. And that may be helpful or hurtful to some extent. But here's what we know. Jesus had John write these extraordinary truths to simple, common people, farmers, fishermen. He didn't write it to the Pharisees. He had them write it to the common people who, when filled with God's Spirit, could understand this book. That has to be the preface when we start here. God wants us to get it. God wants us to understand. Otherwise, why did he write anything at all in the first place? Now, there are some real basic tenets that are critical to understanding any of the Bible, much less the harder books. And there's four of them, I believe. The first one is faith. When you open up your Bible, doubting the Word of God is never going to get you anything. It's not. 
See, we don't open up the Bible and go, well, let's find out if it's true. No, we open up the Bible because it is true. I mean, if you open it up doubting, let me tell you this, your chance of understanding is extremely limited. By faith, we understand, is what the Hebrews writer writes in 11 verse 3. It is faith that causes me to pray every time and I, as I open my Bible and ask for understanding and wisdom from the author. Simply put, God wants you to understand and grasp the revelation more than you and I might even know ourselves. Now, adding to our faith a life of purity. It's critical if I want to understand God's word. In Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist writes, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And again, Job in Job 27, 8 writes this, for what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he gain much, if God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? No, not unless he repents. So it's critical You know, when there's sin in our hearts that remains unconfessed, it becomes this barrier in our ability to not only understand the Bible, but then also to hear from the Lord because he's trying to convict us. Obedience is next. And again, obedience to God's world is super critical if I want to know him the way that he wants me to know him. The psalmist writes in Psalms 111 verse 10, listen to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So see, somehow there's connected our living out and obeying the word of God in our understanding the word of God. Again, Psalms 119, 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I mean, think about that. I mean, is that not crazy? The bottom line on why obedience is so important in these last days are found in the words of Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 17, when he says this, If any man will do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, it all has to come from God. Please understand, Jesus was not man-taught. Oh, no, he was God-taught. And as we obey, we'll be God-taught as well. And see, this levels the playing field between the scholarly professor and the loose sinner out of the trenches as I speak about myself. We're all on the same playing field. And lastly, if I really want to know about anything in life, you have to do your own study at home. At the minimum, you have to pick it up and do your own investigation and your own reading at home. Remember the Jews who lived in Berea? Paul shows up. Do you remember what they did? Acts 17, 11. The Jews who were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word from Paul who wrote over half the books of the New Testament with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not those things were so. They, They wanted to check Paul out and make sure he is right. Therefore, because they searched the scriptures daily, do you know what happened? Therefore, they believed because they did their own investigation. See, those are God's word, not mine. Now, for the record, most people don't do study at home across the church. They don't. Even fewer or less pick up the Bible and read it. 
But we've got to, team. We've got to be picking it up in these last days that we live in or we're going to be swept downstream. Someone Facebooked me as I said we were going to start Revelation. And it's like, well, I know the Calvary Chapel's way, but you know, I've been reading this book on this view. What do you think about it? It's very interesting to me. I said, this was my reply, there's more hope for a Mormon and a Jehovah Witness in that view of end times. And how did she come to this conclusion? By picking up and reading that rather than reading this. It's critical. You know, people study lots of things today. They study video games, guns, cars, athletics, houses themselves, martial arts, band stuff. I mean, the list is endless. But when it comes to the Bible, for some reason, they just can't seem to find any time to get around to it. But we have to get around to it, Christian. It's critical. The reason why the church is so jammed up and jacked up today It's because people just aren't spending the time in it. Guys, we're we're God's kids. He's left us a love manual. Jesus has left us the entire end time scene scenario. You want to be reading ahead. Months away from the apostles Paul's death, he wrote to Timothy, Be diligent, Timmy, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's for all of us, team. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. See, if you were just to read the book of Revelation over and over the next few months, calling out to Jesus to give you wisdom and understanding to know and asking him to speak to you, I believe he will speak to you on every single page and you will be radically changed. I believe that. Because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So four things. Critical in life, faith, purity, obedience, and study. Those are certainly four ingredients to have a successful worldly life. And yet, how much more in getting the most out of the Bible? Now, in your own reading of this book, here's some things to consider. The time is probably 95, 96 A.D., As you read through it, there are 32 different names slash titles for Jesus. Many of them repeat themselves over and over. Go looking for them. 32 of them. Mark them. Write them in the front of your Bible somewhere when you see them. 27 times in 22 chapters, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb, as in the Lamb of God. 95 Greek manuscripts were used to compile the book of Revelation. At least that's what the commentaries say, so I trust him in that. 17 times, as we go through this, we're going to be on earth, and then we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be on earth, and we're going to be in heaven. 17 times. There are 44 separate visions and word pictures in this book. Go looking for them. There are some things that I will say, and I'll go, you know what? I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what this thing, this scorpion thing is. But you know what? That's okay. We're just going to let the scriptures speak for themselves. The danger lies in trying to get the word of God to say something that he's not saying. So, hey, we're just going to be like the Bible scholars down through the ages have done. And we're just going to let those things lay by themselves. I think God wants it that way. We're not going to add to, and we're certainly not going to take away from, if you need to know why, read the last couple of verses in the book. 
The word like and as is is used 44, 45 times in this book. For example, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Three unclean spirits, like frogs. They weren't actually frogs. They were like frogs. As a thief, his face was like the sun. Jesus' face isn't the, you know, the sun with the big happy face on it. No, it was like the sun, glowing. It's a similarity, not an actual. I saw is used 47 times in 22 chapters. I saw an angel. I saw a beast. I saw something. So start reading ahead and go looking for him. The Greek word for behold is used 29 times. That's more than one every chapter. Behold, stop and pause, look and wonder, go, wow, that's amazing. 29 of those. The Greek word for great is used 75 times. Great earthquake, great plagues, great angels. Over 300 references to the Old Testament as we go through the book of Revelation. One commentator wrote, there's over 500 and if that's true, because if we took years taking it apart, we would probably find them all. But think about this. If there was 500 references to the Old Testament, which I believe is probably true because this book will take us through the entire Old Testament. That's 70%. That's 70% of the verses here are going to take us to the Old Testament, making some reference. I know the book of Revelation can... Blow our minds if we let it. And that's why the devil works so hard trying to keep people out of it. The, the word seven is used 37 times. Seven angels, seven trumpets, seven plagues, seven letters, seven seals. In the Greek language, there is not a number system like we have our alphabet and we have a, then a number system. No, they use words. So the number seven means complete because the words mean something. 75 times we run into the word angel or angels in this book. I mean, those are plenty of things to go looking for. I mean, you can look at the, the, the first, where it's all created in Genesis, and now in Revelation, the very ending. And, there, and there's tons of those things, and we'll talk about those as we go. Now, there's different views about the book, and I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of details, but here's a simple take on it. The Preterist viewpoint, which seems to be growing in popularity, states that this book only dealt with the church during John's time when he was writing. It was only for them. It was past tense. At 70 AD, the book was over. Interesting. The poetic view states that John wrote this book to comfort the Christians who were presently being persecuted during the Roman Empire. Another view is the historical view. That includes all of the church age from start to finish and future events of the church age, but it does not include the end time events. That's how they see it. And then lastly, there's the futurist view. And that view is starting at chapter four, they declare all of the end time events that occur before the return of Jesus Christ. The futurist view declares that the book of Revelation is a book that deals with end times. You want to take a guess of what view we take as a Calvary Chapel movement? Now, all of these viewpoints have something to offer. This book did speak to John's day and age. It does record church history in chapters 2 and 3. It does have meaning into our own personal lives. But we cannot deny it proclaims loud and clear future end time events. There's no way we can deny that. If we just let the scripture speak for himself, we're going to be blown away. We know this book means something to us because 
Verse 1, Jesus instructs his angels to show his servants. That's us. So we know it's for us today. Show them these things which must shortly take place. That's why the prophecies in this book are predictive. John writes of future events in his day. For Jesus said at the end of verse 3, look what it says. The time is near. It has not happened yet. Can we all see that? The time is near. He's writing 95 to 96 AD. The time is near. It hasn't happened yet. It's soon. Well, those who say, the preterist view, that it all happened at 70 AD, they're wrong. Because Jesus writes, or John writes this in 96 AD, with Jesus telling him the time is near, not the time is past. You all with me? It's very clear. One last question. How would the average churchgoer describe the book of Revelation today? Things like, well, that's where the Antichrist is. You know, I can't really understand that. Isn't That's God's judgment. Yeah, I don't want to go read that. That's kind of scary. It's kind of hard. Isn't that where the earth is destroyed? Is God really going to do that? And all of that's true. But let's test all of that by this first thing we see in verse 1, by the first two words, the revelation. Notice it's singular. It's not revelations. No, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means to uncover, to reveal, to remove that which was veiled, to pull off the cover. Anyone ever got up in the middle of the night and tripped over something that you didn't see that was there? Yeah, if it had been unveiled to you, if it had been revealed to you, you wouldn't have saw, right? Well, that's what this book is going to do. It's going to reveal to us. In the next 22 chapters, it reveals and uncovers Jesus Christ to you and I like no other books in the Bible. That's why it says the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You miss this, you miss the whole book. If you miss this as the revelation of Jesus, you miss the main character of the book. And that's one of the many reasons why the devil works overtime keeping believers out of the book because he doesn't want Jesus to be unveiled to you and I. And that's why you've heard things about the book of Revelation like, you know, there's too many symbols and pictures. It's kind of mystical and, well, it confuses me. How many people have ever heard someone say it's confusing? Yeah, it's confusing. And yet, here in the opening phrase, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ to you and I as servants. God wants it to be made known to us. I mean, when it's confusing or it's mystic or is it really real? Those are arrows that the devil is shooting at the church, seeking to bring doubt to the church for one reason only, so they can't see Jesus. Tell the person beside you, can you see that? Tell them. This book is the revelation of Jesus Christ and Jesus wants to reveal himself to you more so than any time in the Christian walk. Why? Because the, the time is near. The end is happening. This book unveils Jesus like no other. A revelation is something that was not known in the past that is now being understood in the present. So from the very get-go, please understand that Jesus here is revealing himself to the church through the, his angel by 
the Apostle John. He's doing that to you and I as bride because he wants us to get it. Jesus is the person who is revealing, and that's what should make this so exciting. Because see, by the time we finished him, if all we do, though, is have a better understanding of the timeline of future events, if all we really under, do is understand how the book of Revelation flows, if, if all we really get out of it is where all the breaks are and kind of see our future destination, if all we do is discover details and facts and figures and miss Jesus, we've missed what the book of Revelation is all about. And it could be real easy doing that. Wow, okay, I see that, and wow, I got that. And, hey, but if it doesn't impact our hearts because Jesus has unveiled himself to us, we've missed it. This book is the unveiling of our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings to you and me as servants. And you and I need a fresh revelation of Jesus every day, amen? We do, it's critical. And the devil knows that, he does. So let me encourage you, read ahead. We're going to start slow, but we'll get to where we're doing whole chapters. Jesus is alive. He's waiting to reveal himself to you in new ways by using his old word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Who's him? Say it if you know it. Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show his. Who's his? Jesus, to show Jesus' servants. Who's the servants? It's us. Can you see God's ultimate goal for Jesus to accomplish in this book here? Underline these two words, to show. God wants Jesus to show us his chosen from before the foundation of the world adopted children things which must shortly take place. That's God's heart. And Jesus is going to do it in a big old way. Please understand, nothing is hidden in here. Daniel, in writing his prophecy, he was told to seal them up. Not this book. John, they tell John, hey, leave it open. It's for now. It's not for a later time. It's for now. And it's going to be open. God wants us to show. You might, wonder, you might want to underline that. Things which might shortly take place, keep it in mind, that was 1,900 plus years ago. 1,900 years ago, Jesus has, God has Jesus right to his servants. It's all going to take place shortly. Now again, short's a relative term. Well, how many is short? Oh, I don't know. It could be this, could be that. But I do know that God wants it that way because he wants to keep the church on her toes. He wants to keep the church awake, not growing lukewarm, not walking away from their first love. He wants the church every day looking and watching and waiting and praying that they'd be found worthy. That's what Jesus tells them to do in Luke 22. We have Jesus on record to you and me as church declaring these things. These things must shortly take place. I'm going to reveal them to you, my bride. They're coming. When they come, you got to be ready. The clock is running down. We're in the final lap. Be ready. Look around because the events are coming soon. Jesus said this in Luke 21, 28, hours before he's arrested. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I mean, look around, team. You would have to be dead not to realize what's happening in our world today. 
This must happen shortly. That means this book of Revelation is predictive prophecy, meaning it's going to happen. Not all prophecy is predictive. But this is because Jesus told us, his servants, that it's so. So how short is short, as the lukewarm, backsliding, living in sin sinner might ask? Hey, man, you got to get it together today. Because Jesus could come back tonight. Tomorrow, the last call to board the rapture-bound train, it's already gone out. We've got to be ready. It's critical. The grace of God that brings salvation to us in Titus chapter 2 speaks to us loud and clearly that you and I, if we're saved by grace, are to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 teaches us that. Now, the critic and the scoffer, well, they're just going to always be critical and they're always going to scoff and they're going to say, well, that's just a bunch of hogwash. They've been talking about the return of Jesus forever. I mean, I mean, what... That, that, you know, just give it up. Well, no, God knew they were going to say that. And that's why he says in verse 15 in Titus 2, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And so the grace of God that brought salvation to you and me is calling us to be watching, calling us to be looking. And if you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, then that testifies to you within your own heart. Team, we know the world and parts of the church are going to scoff about the time of the return. Jesus had Peter write about it. So I want to detour just for a moment. Just go back a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, people say, well, that's all symbolic, or that's this, or that's that. Really? How about 2 Peter 3? Is that all symbolic too? No, it's not. It's here for our understanding. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, reads like this. Knowing this first, we can know this that scoffers will come in the last days. And if we're not in the last days, we miss the trip, team. That scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's what scoffers think. If my heart thinks that, I'm just scoffing to myself. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. I mean, God's done it before. It's going to happen. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, that same word that flooded the earth. Boom, God said, let it happen and it happened. The same world, the same earth, the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That's you and me, the church. Do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. Now, I'm pretty sure Dan didn't know I was going to do that, and yet we sang the song about it. Because God wants us to know something. One day is as a thousand years. So it's only been two days to God. Less than. One day is as a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. How many people got saved? How many people have been born again for 10 years? Raise your hand. 
Hold them up. 15, 20, 25. See, if Jesus would have came back, we ought to, you would have been left behind if you don't have your hand up. See, God is, he's not slack. He doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. But the days of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to happen in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Can you see that? I mean, Jesus is holding this whole thing together and he's just going to go, he's just going to let it all go. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the scoffer says. It doesn't matter what the critic says. But they're all going to pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, the heavens, the earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, the church... Walking with Jesus, abiding in Christ, according to his promise, we look for new heavens. Man, that's what Revelation 21 and 22 says. We look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, put some energy into it, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Yeah, for you and me. As also our beloved Paul, according to his wisdom given to him, has written to you. There is no symbolism in there. That's just straight-up truth. There is nothing stopping the advance in this book called Revelation to be in full motion. There's nothing stopping him from happening. If you look around the world today, if you look around the church it's all in full motion. Russia rising up and preparing to alienate themselves from the rest of the world. They're doing a really good job at it. That's predictive prophecy. The Bible predicts that. It's happening as I speak. Iran rising up. I mean, who have they alienated themselves from most of the world? Even their Muslim neighbors don't want anything to do with them. That's predictive prophecy. That's already happened from most countries that matter. What happens when you get enough alienated countries from the rest of the world? What do they do? They join together because they don't have anybody else that will buy and sell with them. That's happening. Church, that's predictive prophecy, and it's high time that the church awake out of their sleep. It's game on. It's showtime. Something's going to happen. And I would place the sure money on Putin not backing down because Listen, he is being guided by the hand of God. Do you believe that? You should, because Romans 13 says, no authority exists except that which is appointed by God. Because all of these end time events, God's the orchestrator of it. Why? Because it's already been written. God has already declared that Russia and Iran, Turkey, Ethiopia, and either Libya and Sudan would band together and seek to take out Israel. You can go read about it in Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38. Predictive prophecy. It has not happened yet. Whether that's going to happen now, I don't know. But we just read God wants Jesus to enlighten his servants, that's you and me, to these things which must shortly take place. These are exciting times to be living as a Christian, Christian. Look back at verse 1 in Revelation 1. And he sent, who's he? 
Starts with a J. And he sent, who's that? And signified it by his. That starts with a J. Who's that? Yeah. And Jesus sent and signified it by Jesus' angels to whose servant? Jesus' servant. It's all Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, with which God gave Jesus to show Jesus' servants things which must shortly take place, and Jesus sent and signified it by Jesus' angel to Jesus' servant, John. That is so important to remember in the coming weeks. That this is Jesus' angel that was sent by Jesus to his servant, John, to show John the end time scenes. But not just show John. Go all the way to the end of the book, just for a quick second. Revelation 22, 16. Because there we discover where it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the what? In the churches. That's you and me today. I hope we can all see that Jesus really wants us to be able to understand here, team. Jesus sent his angel in verse 1. So John, in turn, could put it all down on paper, everything that he heard and saw, and then Jesus stamps the entire book, boom, at the very end, saying, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to the churches. That's why I use this book to, actually, I use the Jehovah Witness Bible that is chock full of errors in the book of Revelation to show them that Jesus Christ is God. Because why? Because this is the unveiling of who Jesus is. That You could use this book just for everything. It's a great witnessing book. Use chapter 21 and in other places. It's a great witnessing book. Now, as we go back to verse 1, we know that John has sent his angel to his servant John. We know that. John's probably 90 plus with a passion for Jesus when he wrote this. Historians tell us John was boiled in oil and survived. Rome was done with him, so they boiled him oil. But he survived that. Why? Because God had a work for him to do. And then they exiled him out to the island of Patmos, a, a rocky crag out by Ephesus in the Mediterranean. That's where John saw all of these visions and saw everything that he saw. And upon his release, History says he came back to Ephesus, and as we will see when we get there, he didn't write it on the isle called Patmos. Oh, no, no. He wrote it someplace else. And we'll see that when we get there, because it's very clear. And he wrote it on the uh, most, and history says in Ephesus. Whether or not that's true, we don't know. But we know he wrote it someplace else other than on Patmos. And he was roughly 95 to 96 years old when he wrote this. Think about this. The same earthly age Jesus would have been. Interesting. So he's writing to you and I. And as we travel through these pages, we're going to see that this revelation of Jesus Christ presents Jesus as the one in the midst of the present age we live in, but also as the king and the judge in the dispensation to come as Jesus reveals to us future events and details yet to come. And he's going to do it through various word pictures and words and symbols. And that's a key word here in verse 1. See that word signified? That tells us that God's going to use symbols or marks or, or signs. It's kind of like in baseball, you know? You know, he, he just gave him a sign. It means something. And it's the same thing here as we go through this book of Revelation. There are many signs and symbols in the book. 
And it has been said that signs and symbols, as they pass through the ages of time, they don't time out. I mean, think about this. If the book of Revelation has a a nuclear holocaust or an asteroid shower in it, how could John describe that to people when he didn't even know what it is? And so that's why there's descriptive words in here. There's symbols. You know, the the symbol or the description of the beast says way more than the word dictator. You know, it's like, well, you know, in the last days, there'll be a dictator. Oh, that's pretty exciting. There's dictators all over the place. No, but it says there'll be a, there'll be a beast. And all of a sudden, it causes your imagination to kind of understand what John saw. So it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by symbols and signs by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Notice in verse 2, John says, this is, this is like way awesome. John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why is that important to you and I today? Well, it seems John knew as he wrote that it was not him who was writing. It seems John knew it was the Spirit of God coming upon him and anointing him to write. But most importantly, what to write? It seems John knew that. And we're going to discover as we travel through this book that God not only used angels to communicate to John to write these things down, but also Jesus himself and elders and a voice from heaven as well. Man, I hope you're ready to be blessed. I hope you are. It doesn't get any better than this team. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads. It's singular. You reading yourself. You'll be blessed when you read this book over and over. You want to be blessed? Go home and pick it up and read it. You want to be blessed on Tuesday? Pick it up and read it. You want to be blessed on Wednesday? Pick it up and read it. And those who hear. Plural. Have somebody read it to you. Be doubly blessed. This is all who hear. The words of this prophecy, and keep, plural, all who keep those things which are written in it. Why? For the time is near. See why the devil works overtime seeking to keep believers out of the book? This is another reason why. He doesn't want Jesus to bless us. He wants us to keep us out of it. You defeat him here by picking this up and reading it and spending some time in it. You know, there's no other book in the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you re- by, by reading it, hearing it, and doing it. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, take heed what you hear with what measure you, with, with, with that measure which, which you measure, it shall be measured to you, and to you who hear, more shall be given. Man, pick it up and listen to it. Let God speak to you. God wants to fill you more and more. Remember when Jesus is teaching in the house and is, he's interrupted by his mom and dad and they say, hey, or his mom and brothers, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's where we want to be found. That's where God's going to bless us, where we hear it, where we read it, And when we do it, Jesus again, John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
And again, John 15, 4, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Well, that matches what Jesus is telling John here. Now, this is the only book, and the devil knows that, where you're going to be blessed three times over by hearing it, living it out, and doing it. Do you realize there are whole denominations Whole denominations like the Anglican Church that will not even include this in their reading schedule. They won't. There's others who won't even go through it because, well, it's just too complicated. Oh, guys, we're going through it. We're going to go through it verse by book, phrase by phrase, line upon line. Why? Because we want to be blessed. Read it. You'll be blessed. Read it at home. You'll be blessed. Hear it. Hear it here. Hear it at home. But team, you got to tune in and not tune out. you got to fight off the sleepiness. Kind of hard to be blessed by hearing it if you're sleeping. you got to fight that all up. You know, listen to where, you know, you're repeating what's spoken as we go through here. Stay tuned in. Stay alert. Force your brain to work different ways. I mean, this threefold blessing requires me to do it. It does. If one will seek to understand and keep this word treasured up in one's heart, these words here that we read as we spend time in over the next few months, what's going to cause us to see this present world in a a whole different way? It's going to cause us to see Jesus in a whole different way. Thankfully, this does not read, blessed are those who understand. Boy, that'd that'd be hard. But like I said, there's some things we're not going to understand. We're just going to let them lay and we'll get to heaven and say, man, John, you were right. That thing was like a scorpion. But for now, we're going to say, I don't know what it is. I hope you're ready for the threefold blessing. It's not going to cost you a hundred bucks. Hey, if you send me your hundred dollars, you'll be blessed. No, you just got to pick it up and read it. Even if I mess this whole thing up, which is always possible, you're still going to be blessed as you read it as you hear it, and as you go out and apply it to your lives. And not because I say so, but because Jesus has past tense fact already said so. This is the one book in the Bible that starts and ends with the blessing. Look at chapter 22, verse 7 at the end of the book. Jesus says this, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's game time we got to wake out of our slumber, church. So hang with us as we investigate this book, looking for treasures of God, and you'll be blessed. 100% money-back guarantee by God himself. You know, plan your week out so you won't have to miss. And let me exhort you in this. When you don't feel like coming, you don't feel like picking up the, the Bible when you're home, those are the days you got to. When you don't feel like coming because the kids are going to be a hassle, no, those are the times you've got to because if you give in to those feelings, you're being led by your flesh. Church, it is time. I mean, if you're contagious, stay at home. Get it online. But it's time. It is time. It's game time. Besides being blessed, why should we seek to read, hear, and do what lies ahead in the book of Revelation? Look at the last part of verse 3, one last time. For the time is near. Well, I don't believe that. Well, then you're doubting the Bible when you pick it up. If I'm saved by grace through faith, that speaks to me. 
to get it in gear if I'm not in gear. As we go through this, we're going to get into chapter 2, where Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. And he says, remember from the height of which you've fallen. Where is that pinnacle of my Christianity? That, it challenges me. Am I there or beyond? Or am I here? Oh, no, I can't be here. i got to be here. And then as we get through to the lukewarm church, either hot, lukewarm, or cold. Jesus' words. It's critical. It's critical. See, the, if we focus on the time is near, it'll give us a passion for the souls of men and women. We'll realize, hey, look, this is going to happen. This is what awaits them. This is where they're going to end up. This is what they're going to take. If we focus on the fact that time is near, we're going to have a passion for the souls of men and women who are lost. We're going to have a heart to encourage the church. We're also going to be investing our time and talents into the kingdom of God. If we believe the time is near and our resources our finances, oh man, we're going to be investing those in heaven if we believe the time is near because whatever is going to be left is going to be left for the Antichrist. If we believe the time is near, it's critical. It's critical. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we bear witness today that the